Hello friends, I'm your host Chris Thrill, I'm a former Royal Marines Commando, I've adventured for better and sometimes worse across 80 countries on all seven continents. Welcome to the Bought the T-Shirt Podcast. Dale, how are you, brother? I'm fantastic, mate. How are you? Yes, firing, mate. Firing. It's um, great to um, to chat. Uh, always good to chat to a fellow Royal Marine. Uh, but in this case, we've got a boxer, Jordan Reynolds. Hello, Jordan. You came on the podcast the other day to thank for for putting you and I, you and I in touch. Yeah, what 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 a great lad Jordan is. I'm, I'm sure you had a blast with him. Yeah, we had a really good chat. He's so grounded. Um, he's, mate, he's, he's super, super switched on. I, like when, when I first met him, I remember the first time I spoke to him, we were kind of doing some general work and he was talking and he was talking about some like books he'd read, like kind of like personal development books and stuff like that. Um, and I was thinking, fucking hell, like this guy's like, I think he was like 17 or 18 at the time. And he's like, he's already thinking, you know, probably where, you know, somewhere where I'd be thinking maybe 10 years in advance, like, you know, he's well above kind of his, well above his age at the time in terms of his thinking, his mindset. I mean, he's carried that all the way through his career, like, you know, England, GB, and now now professional, and he's going to go far, definitely. Yeah, you're a really nice bloke. Um, hello again, Jordan. Yeah, I remember I bought my first personal development book. I think it was, I was either coming from Limpson to home or the other way around, and was in Exeter train station, and I had one of those cat book carousels. You don't sort of yeah. see them that much these days, but no. and there was one, one book, it was like how, I don't know, how to be the best you can be or something. And <laughs> I, 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 I mention it, mate, because why is it that some people have that? You know, they want to seek knowledge. I don't know. I think, it, I honestly believe it's, it's like internally driven. It's like, it's, I don't know whether it's like a, I always, a lot of times when I talk about things, I talk to my patients about things, I try and bring it back to like an evolutionary perspective. Like why, why, why do we behave in certain ways and how, 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 is, how does that relate to kind of evolution? You can, it's obvious when you talk about kind of why people binge eat and stuff and how that, how they potentially an evolutionary aspect to that. You know, we, we didn't maybe have access to food for long periods of time. When we come across carbohydrate, fatty foods, um, it'd be a good idea to, to, to take as much on as possible in order to store fat and carbohydrates in the muscle, and then we can go longer periods of time without food, for instance. So you can understand it from that standpoint. But in terms in terms of uh, personal development, I think maybe it's about it's about um, trying to be the the best version of yourself. So you're the most you you're able to be the most useful person in terms of the community. Like humans are community species. Um, so even if even though I like to think I'm independent and stuff like I, I, I do also want to be useful, right? I like I, I work in healthcare. I help people recover from pain and injury, get back to sport. So I think, I think it comes down to that. I think it comes down to being capable um, and being able to um, handle situations that you, we maybe would have come across historically in our evolution. Um, and uh, and it's a survival mechanism. The most useful, capable person maybe attracts the best mate. Maybe can fight off the lion, you know, get the food, all that type of stuff. So it is, I think it's an evolutionary drive. And I think some people, it's stronger in some people than it is in others. Um, and it seems to be quite strong in Boonex. <laughs> yeah, we're a, we're a rare breed, mate, aren't we? You know, 
Um, it's like if, like you go I, I, if you go online, like go on, go on Instagram or something like that, and the amount of bootlegs that are doing amazing stuff around the world is insane. Yeah, like you, go, like you just you just you can just like you can't list them. They're just like endless amounts of bootlegs that just just left the core and gone on to amazing things and um, you know physical feats, you know psychological stuff, um, you know, businesses, whatever they've kind of decided to get stuck into. Um, you know, they've, t- they've typically can have done done really well, and, and I don't know whether it's once again it was an internally driven thing that you know that does does that type of service attracts certain types of individuals initially who already have these traits, or is there something about the training that allows for these traits to develop, especially if you if you join at a younger age where you're more more plastic and malleable, where you can be influenced, um, and when you're around other people that are similar in nature and similar in kind of mindset how does that influence your behaviors longer term i think it's all interesting stuff i don't know particularly the answers but there seems to be certain traits that that boonex have that, that is potentially an advantage um longer term yes and you just said something there it's interesting isn't it that a lot of people be surprised at this but the average career of a royal marine is seven years yeah um and I think you, it, 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 there's kind of like a split, not not a physical split, but a metaphysical split of people that went in for the experience. Mm-hmm. And when they've had it, there's just other stuff they want to do in life, isn't there? And then you get your career, yeah. you know, your professional career, soldier or Marine. And, um, you know, it's kind of like a different, different thing again. But, I mean, there's Marines out there writing books. There's Marines hosting tv shows um and that's just this kind of stuff in the media there's all also an awful awful lot of marines just doing bloody good stuff that we don't get just just day-to-day stuff like you know even like you know like running charities doing stuff in the community i mean i've i've just like the amount of things that i see um they just pop up on my on my time like, timelines or feeds and stuff. And I think, oh wow, that's amazing. And I click onto it, oh, it's but it's a boot deck running now. Um, and then it's just it's just it's really inspiring. But I think you're right. I mean, I always I always joined for the experience. Um, I was never going to be a you know I, I never decided that I was going to do do it long term. I'm if like if you if you kind of as you go through my history, you know, course of my life up until this point, you'll see that I'm very much an experience driven person. Like. I want to do stuff that's hard, that's challenging, that's going to test me. Um, but I don't necessarily want to do that forever. I want to do something else. I want to find where where's that next point where I can be pushed, whether that's physically, psychologically, emotionally, wherever it is. So I think there's certain bootlegs that, 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 that are like that as well. Um, I don't know whether it's like you know, some sort of ADHD issue. <laughs> um, can't can't stay in one place too long, you know, get itchy feet or something like that. But um there's certainly something there that in makes me kind of want to okay where's the next challenge where's something else i can get stuck into and get focused on yeah definitely and i think background for a lot of us um i think this might surprise people to know but you know so many people so many of us come from quite damaged backgrounds mm. that it gives you a certain you know mind mindset and approach to life that i think you you want answers <laughs> and, yeah it's, it's interesting because i think a lot of lads are like a lot of lads that I was in with, they didn't, they didn't really have anyone at home, like home, home. So like when they joined the court, that was their, that was their home. Like I was, I was very, I'm very fortunate to have, I had a really good upbringing. Like we weren't, we weren't wealthy or anything like that. We 
skint to be honest um it was tight you know we, money was tight when we grew up but as we were uh, like loving family two uh, i had a mum and a mum and a dad both living together um we, we went to school every day we, all of our needs were looked after I had, I had three siblings so we had lots of fun in the house we like it was a really happy house busy house with friends coming around and stuff like that um so my, my background wasn't damaged at all i i i, I come from the what happened was I was in I was in the final year of school and I never had any ambition to join the, the armed forces up until this point. Mm. So I was I was I was 16 because I was a September baby and this was like Christmas time. And I was talking to one of my mates, brother's mates, who was in 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 the Royal Marines, he joined and just passed training, chatting to him. Also, I was kind of seeing all the stuff from the news with with um, and the, the boonets were in the news, and I was like, it's really interesting. I went onto the website and started to like flick through, and there was I was looking at like some of the, like the like, and I knew about the Royal Marines. I'd been interested in them before. I'd seen other stuff, but I, ne I never thought that I was going to join. Um, but I started to look through the website. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. And at the time, they were running the um, um, you 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 you've hit, hit your wall, get over it. Do you remember the the the, the campaign on TV, the advert with like. They're on the uh, on the the salt course, and they're like the guy gets to a wall and he's like struggling to get over it. And it's like, you know, and, and then I think there's a, there was a bit where like you know on the endurance course going through Peter's pool. You know, is this is this when you, you know is this is your breaking point type thing? Um, I was like, that looks really cool. Um, and so I, I looked at the, the requirements, and there was like the three mile test that you had to do on the PRMC. And I was like, I'm fit. I'm gonna. So I was training in terms of like I was doing some weights. So I was 16. And I was playing football and rugby and all that type of stuff. I was like, let's go out and go for a run and see if I can do it. I never used to run just for running sake at that point. Mm. But I was like, I'm going to go and see if I can do it. I, there's a half mile loop around my house. And I, I went out running and I was literally dying from the first, like, you know, first first half a mile running. And, and But I ended up doing three miles and I just got in just in time. And I was like, ah, I have got in. I, I, borderline had a had the cardiac event getting round but i managed to get round and then uh then i was in and i decided i went and spoke to my mum i was like i'm joining the royal marine she's like she's like no you're not i was like she's like i was like no no i am joining the royal marine she's like you're joking right i was like no no i'm, I'm joining she's like no you're not joining because i'm not going to sign sign the papers to join i was like well if you don't sign the papers i'll just sign them next year when i'm when i'm able to like you can sign them when you're 17 at a time so she was like okay and then we got to the nitty-gritty and stuff but I was I was really academic at school, so I like sailed through studying. Um, I was average physically, like I was okay. Like I played in the, like football team, rugby team, stuff like that. Um, but I was never like super super athletic. Like there was a lot more people that are more talented than me physically. Um, but I was really academic. That was I had good memory, so I was lucky to be able to retain information. And I got to, and I was like, all of my teachers and stuff were were. Um, they were pushing me to go into university so like everyone assumed that i was just going to go straight to university we went there was like this like gifted and talented scheme at school for all the people that were bright all the bright kids and then we got to go and visit loads of universities like oxford cambridge um like loughborough if you want, you're interested in sport all this type of stuff so i had all these visits to the universities and like i was being groomed to go to university and then i dropped dropped the hammer on them and said no no, no i'll join the royal marines and i had this like uh, I remember I had this like intervention of teachers that brought me in and was like just talking to me and just like trying to convince me not to join the Royal Marines, which is which was utter madness. But I still remember it. It's quite it's quite a fond memory. To me. 
your story so similar to mine. I was um, I was homeless and living in my car at the time, and my mate did the PRC, or it was before before they called it the PRNC. Yeah, the PRC, and he went off to limit, and he came back, and he was buzzing, and he was firing, and he he'd had like I don't know. 30 guys rock up for this PRC and, and, and three of them passed or something. It was one of those. Uh, yeah. And uh, he said these immortal words to me. He went, yeah, it was tough, but of course you couldn't do it. I was like, I fucking can. <laughs> so we'll see about that. <laughs> yeah. Just like you, I looked at the brochures and I went, I can do 50 press ups. Yeah. I can do 80 sit ups. I can then want six pull ups. I can yeah. do like 30 pull ups. Right. So I set myself a, a challenge because I wasn't a runner either. And I ran around, there's a, a, a rock on Dartmoor called The Rock that some people might know. And it was half a mile from my home around the rock and back. And I thought, right, if I can run around the rock, sorry, it was a mile. If I can run this mile around the rock and back without stopping, bang, I'm going to go to the recruiting office on, it's was, it was actually Christmas Eve or something. And, uh, <laughs> going to go to the recruiting office after the holiday and i tell you what it killed me it killed me i i did that first half mile and i wanted to die and there was this voice in my head and it just said chris you've got two options here you can give up and then you're just going to be giving up for life uh-huh, 100%. or you can hang in there and those recruiting office doors are going to be open for you and Love that it. was it it was i'd say that's probably like my first epiphany in life that right I, I speak to my patients about this all the time right about quitting um lots of it, it's it's it might it probably goes back to evolution as well like it, it's it's when you're you know we've we've it's been so hard for humans throughout the throughout our history that we now and we've always seek to have comfort right um so at, at the moment when when sometimes now when, when we need to sort of dig in and we and we've made this comfortable life for ourselves in terms of you know sanitation it's safe education um you know we don't have to be particularly physical all this type of stuff the way, the way we've designed our life so when things do get tough sometimes we struggle with it so i speak i speak to patients about it all the time about quitting and and that actually no one no one knows that you quit right so if you if you if you if you try and do something if you go to do something and you quit for instance right if i was doing a race i could go out there and i could do the race um i could quit on course and i could post on social media that something was hurting me or i blew up you know there's nothing i could do about it um but i might know that actually i didn't really fancy it that day or i could do the race i could complete the race even um but halfway around i could slow really slow myself down because it's hurting me a little bit and it's i'm I'm struggling um but actually i know i've got more inside me but i can just i can just quit or and 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 in that situation nobody would ever call you a quitter right you you're you're you've put you've went and done what you were supposed to do you've done the race you've finished it so you haven't quit as such but you have because you you quit halfway around yourself right when you when you could have dug in a little bit and your you know your goal might have been to dig in and push a bit harder and you, and you didn't. So I think the the reality is about quitting is interesting is that sometimes it may be the right thing to do if you, in terms of if you change your mind, really change your mind, really that's not your goal anymore. But in a lot of situations, people typically quit when it gets hard. And 
and unfortunately like although people don't really maybe don't know that you quit or you know they know they might be not aware that you quit you have to live with that like personally and i i feel like every time that you are able to overcome those feelings of wanting to quit you get a little bit stronger internally right every and and, and what it does is over a period of time if you say for instance it might be something as simple as i need you know I set my alarm in the morning for five o'clock um, and I snooze to six o'clock every morning. And actually I want to snooze, you know, I want to be up at five o'clock in the morning. And every time that you keep snoozing and get up at six, you chip, you chip away at your ability to be, be resilient later. Um, you're chipping away at your, your um, it's almost like the trust in yourself to do certain things. So you, and, but every time you set an alarm, you get up at five o'clock, you're building confidence in yourself and your ability to do stuff. Um, and that, the, 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 the sum of that and how that compounds over a period of time is, it's amazing what, 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 how it changes you as a person. So, um, yeah, unfortunately with quitting, you, you, you may be the only person that has to deal with it. It may not be an external facing thing, et cetera, but that internal feeling that you get can, can eat people up. And I've seen, you see, you see a lot of people that have left the core that go back and go back and rejoin, right? They, they, they didn't pass training for whatever reason. Maybe they got injured. Maybe they um, had some issues um, with, with, with some of the skills or whatever it was. And 10 years later, they've rejoined the core because it's all that period. And every day for that period of time, it's been eating them up inside. And, they want, and, and you see, see the same with, with boxers that, that they, you know, they kind of, you know, come back after a period of time and, and it's like it's this internal driver in, in, to, to want to achieve certain things they feel like they, they could have done better and they want to get back into it type thing but um for me I, I i don't like living with the the feeling of quitting it's kind of it's it's kind of against my core values as a person i think yes i've only ever met one person um who left the marines and just said chris i'm really glad i did I'm, I'm not friends at home. We're not trying to sell the military here. I'm, I'm just saying that most people tend to be, all right, Chris. Yeah. I was in the Marines. I got to week 23 in training and I, and, and it just, it's eating me up my whole life. And yeah, I say to everyone, well, I say to everyone, we, we had our 30 year reunion, our troop, and we went to Limston and they said, do you want to go and speak to the fresh recruits in the, uh, they call it the foundation block now. Yeah. It was the induction block when I was uh, when I was there, and um, so I stepped forward to these youngsters and I just said, "Listen, don't fucking quit. It's that simple. Unless you absolutely decide, no, actually, this isn't for me. I I I really don't want to. That's fine. That's fine because it's not the be all and end all to to be in the military or get. Do you know what? I fucking hated training. <laughs> I hated it." I, I was literally like, I was never going to quit, right? But only because I weren't going to quit, quit on, I was going to pass the course no matter what. It killed me in the process. I was going to, I was going to, I was going to pass the course. I hated it. It was like, I was, I joined when I was 16, scrawny little 16 year old, skinny, 11 stone. I was fit. I was strong for my age. He started slapping on the burger on my back. My body started to break down, right? I was super fussy eater. Um, I like I lost a load of weight in training because I, I was like I was getting up in the morning and I wasn't used to being up early in the morning. I couldn't eat, and then 
like I was going doing all this kind of all the stuff you do day to day. I was getting really fatigued and beaten up from it. All the admin stuff I'd been like I was fortunate like my mum my mum done loads of stuff at home. I was a kid still, so I was having to learn all this stuff. Um, and I enjoyed different bits of it, like like some of the like learning some of the soldiering skills and all that type of stuff. There's bits of the lads, but and I could see myself like the job. I could see it was like I quite liked it, but hated every minute of being at Limston. Hated it. Like and I was, it was just I was, my body was just breaking down. Like I was, I was, and even to the point where week nine I got this real, real bad chest infection. Ended up in the hospital on IV antibiotics. Um, Managed to do it was like Jim pass out on a Saturday. Everyone done it on like Wednesday or something, but I missed it. And I managed to do it on Saturday and just like let me just like do the, the bare minimum on the bleep test and the pull ups and stuff just to get through to the next week. Um, and then they and then got to we well to a commando test. Oh, and that's the thing. And at, at that point, all that mattered to me was getting that green lid right. It was like and oh and getting the green lid to me right now single handedly. The, the most proudest moment of my life to this point. Um, it's meant it's that's the it's been the biggest thing because I, I realised how much it took for me in training to get it. Like there's been nothing ever that since then that's that's challenged me like, like that. And I've done loads of stuff, um, but there's nothing that took so much from me um, like Royal Marines training because I've really found it tough. So I was in commander test week. Woke up on the Saturday, and I was and I've got like big chin, right? So I was. I was looking. I was sort of half asleep. Was sort of splashed my face. Um, went went into the went into the head to have a shave. And I got got in, got into the toilet. So I was in the sink and I was creamed up my face. I started shaving, and and like rather than like having like corners around like my chin, it was just like one smooth kind of circle all the way down to like my like chest. So I sort of like looked, well, like rubbed my eyes, looked in the mirror, and I was like, "Fuck!" And my face. And like was well, my neck was swollen like this. This was on the morning of the endurance course. And I was like, no. And what had happened was there was there was mumps going around in my hometown. And I'd gone back maybe six weeks before or something like that. I don't know when when I'd gone back, but I ended up I ended up coming out in coming out in mumps. And I had so I had to go and do the commando test with mumps. And I did um went down the endurance course and I, I, I set off in the second group of three right so right in front um and as you know as you go through the endurance so all the so if anyone doesn't know the faster lads go at the front because otherwise on the endurance course you'll hold everyone up so i set off in the sec second group of three and you go through with in a group of three until you get to a place called uh the sheep's dip where you dip each other under this kind of like water tunnel and then you can go and do your own thing so i started running this group of three and the lads were going dale hurry the fuck up what are you doing so i was blowing like i was struggling to keep up with them to, to the point that the groups behind us i believe probably started a minute later maybe they they, they were catching up with us right um they're like that dale what are you doing what are you doing hurry up hurry up, hurry up. anyway got to sheep sit went through they and they ran off and then i had to then as i was an endurance course had to watch person after person after person passed me on the way back i was on the, and i was blowing i was it, it, it i've never felt pain like it i could hardly breathe and i was r r running um shuffling whatever i was doing and i got i got in and i was expected to get in, in about 63 minutes like based on like performance previously and i believe it was like 73 minutes cut off time we had and i got 
And I remember getting in, I was like, I failed this. Like so many people had come past me along along the course. I was like, am I the last person coming in? Like, the, the, like there was, I was like, everyone was seemingly everyone had passed me, and I was just, like, I'm just going to keep going as hard as I can until I get there. And I got there, my PT was there with the, with the kind of stopwatch. And he was like, fucking hell, Hardeman, where have you been? And I was like, I was like, oh. he goes, right, well done anyway, good effort over there onto onto the range sort of thing. Like, and I was like, it was like it was 72 and a half minutes, so I got in by like half a minute type thing. So I lost, I lost maybe like nine and a half minutes just from from being ill and then mm. then obviously that then i done i can't remember what, what order it is now so is it is it the it's the nine mile speed march next right and then it's the yeah isn't it tarzan assault on the thursday endurance on the friday nine miler on the saturday and then we we definitely first, did the endurance first. we definitely did the endurance first uh okay because i remember waking up on the saturday going oh that's how i remember it anyway but anyway we did I went, when it was on, when I done company, Tarzan was definitely after because I went when I went and done the Tarzan. I remember my training team pulling me aside and saying, "What, what the hell's gone? What's, what's going on?" Like I remember that I having a conversation with them. They sort of pulled me aside and said, "What's going on?" And they said, "Look, you, we can see you're ill. What's happening?" So I said to them about the my neck and mumps and stuff like that. They're like, "Yeah." They're like, "What do you want? What do you want to do? Do you want to do you want to pull off, or do you want to do you want to carry on?" And I was like. Well, obviously, I'm going to carry on. There's like, right, stay away from the lads in the showers. That's how technical it got. Stay away from the lads in the showers. Um, you're doing this at your own risk, and I probably shouldn't say this. Um, but, you know, but you're at, you're an adult. Make your own decisions right here, and that's what I fucking that's what I love about the core as well. It's like self responsibility. You know, you're an adult here. You you want to. Like one of my mates um, says it like he, he makes me laugh. He says, um, if you if you want to act the um, the big man at night, you have to also be able to willing to act, be willing to act the big man in the morning as well. So I think like you know you have to be able to deal with the consequences of your actions. You don't you know if something if I, I then end up giving myself a big problem, that's my fault. That's no one else's. It's not on anyone else. I made the choice. Anyway, I, I end up doing it. I got through got through a Tarzan, got through got through a test, done the thirty mile, but struggled like hell to get round. Um, but I would, we got through and got my green lid, and that, and then obviously that meant a lot to me. Like that's still, still the that whole time period of my life is the, you know, that passing warming training and then um, getting my green brace. Still, the, still the proudest moment, definitely. Yeah, my my mine was passing the PRC. Funny enough, <coughs> yeah, you know, coming from a you know challenging background uh, to actually achieve something of that. Well, at the time to me, it's a holy grail. It's just when they say, pat yourselves on the back, gentlemen, you've just entered the Royal Marines and a load of lads have been sent off home because they'd failed the the the, the, the PRC. I, I remember going back on the train, I was buzzing. I was absolutely, it was just, and still is to this day, um, you know, just the most memorable moment uh, in my life. And... Dale, Afghanistan, how many times did you go there? Twice. I went in I went with Charlie Company in 2006. Um, we, so that's uh, 40 Commando. 40 Commando. We, were, we went to Kabul. Uh, we were in Kabul for just shy of five months, um, just, as, just as a section, uh, sorry, as a, as a, as a, a company, a company group. Um, and, and that was during Herrick, would have been Herrick 3. So when the powers were in Sangin, 
Um, and you know, that was like a bit of bloody tour for them. But for us, we were in, we were in uh, Kabul and it was kind of a um, lot of patrolling, you know, IED risk, uh, not a lot of small arms contact. And it was, it was, well, it did a little bit of like public order stuff. It wasn't, it wasn't particularly like heavy compared to what we then experienced in 2007, 2008, when we deployed as a, as a, as a group of, um, well, 40 commando deployed um, with, I believe, the rifles. And we weren't, we weren't part of the brigade. The brigade were deployed separately, I think, you know, after us. So Ford Commander were attached to someone else. Um, but I spent time in that. I spent seven months there in Afghanistan, then we done. Um, I was in Nauzad, Kajaki, Sangin, um, all places that were pretty interesting, <laughs> um, pretty hairy, live. There was a lot of contacts. Um, you know, it was. There was war fighting going on. There wasn't a lot of locals around. There was a lot of Taliban. Um, it was kind of like some ID risk, uh, but a lot of like small arms, um, RPGs, you know, like all the, you know, indirect, some indirect fire, some 107, uh, all this sort of proper fighting stuff um, that went on in that tour. So it was a bit of a different tour, but um, yeah, yeah, twice overall. It's um, pretty beautiful up by Kajaki, is it? Is it not? Absolutely amazing, mm. stunning. You've got these. So there's there's the Kajaki. You got the, you've basically got a dam there, um, and it's like really like mountainous and hilly. Um, but you've got a couple of like observation points, kind of um, in in the in the hilly bit that overlooks Kajaki town, um, and then you've got the the Kajaki. I don't know what they call it now. DC, they probably call it FOB, maybe. I can't remember what they called it. Or, or DC or something. You've got the Kajaki main camp type thing just, just below. Um, but you have these kind of fire support positions that overlook everything. Um, and you could, in Kajaki, what you could do is because the lads had eyes on that whole area, you could, you which was, and now I think about it, it's mad. You could leave the camp on your own, right, with a weapon and then go up to the fire support positions, right? So as long as you had kit with you, burden weapons. So I was, at the time, me and my, me and my, she's my wife now, mother of my children, but she was my girlfriend at the time. We split up. So I started training to, to SF selection. So I was just going up and doing loops of this, like, um, like circuit type thing, up into the hills, back down, up to the hills, back down, and just checking them with the lats. But I kind of like think back, I think, that's a bit risky, really. <laughs> like you know anything anything could have gone wrong wrong there uh, I've done it and but it was quite lads were doing it but there was the main the main risk from the enemy was kind of to the north so like we'd have to push into that to to get to get in, get in contacts and stuff so it wouldn't I don't think there was much risk locally but there could have been you know someone could have snuck in you know all sorts of stuff it, it, it didn't happen that way but um, or it could have been someone could you know i could have been sh shot at when i was doing that but it, it never happened that way so um but yeah jackie's insane like absolutely stunning beautiful we could even go like a couple of times go swimming in the dam a little bit um and like freezing cold water but absolutely stunning amazing sounds incredible we had a, a the chap i shared a, my room with in northern in the northern ireland or our tour of northern ireland was called dave uh, killed himself, Dave did. Another another sad military statistic. Um, 
But what he used to do, he started, um, I was going to say knocking off then, and I forget that I can't use such terms when you're 52. He started to have liaisons with a girl in the naffy. Yeah. And um, because he was a section commander, or 2IC, he had a radio, mm. and he used to just tuck it in his jacket, hop in the boot of her car, she'd lock him in the boot, and he'd drive out of camp, and he'd go and spend the night at her place. That might not sound much to people listening, but when you're in that camp, every single minute of every day, you're waiting to be killed. You know, we got mortared. We, we got the back gate bombed. Uh, we got um, sniped at going out the front gate. And you know yourself, you know, if the Taliban had ever got hold of you, it, it yeah. wouldn't be pretty. And it's the same in our, our, our Ireland. If the IRA had got hold of a, a Marine, that wasn't going to end very very well and uh yeah dave <laughs> he didn't give a shit i thought it's one of the bravest things i've ever seen he just yeah, he, he just like he could he could have been big trouble there yeah um, oh my god yeah well, he would have been like probably dismissed if anyone had found out no not, not even that i mean that's 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 the least of that would be the least well, of your worries you don't you don't you don't want to get you know caught yeah. by the ira in someone's someone's house and you're a british soldier at that at that point in time it's just the same same food that is there. We were actually like oh like we I had permission to go up, right? You kind of like it was fine, but even then it was brutally risky. I just but he's just like I think the reason why the mil, the mil, military works um is that you've got young, young, fit, strong males that are that aren't risk averse. <laughs> um, yeah. their, their tolerance to risk is you know is low i mean you're like like sorry sorry hi they don't mind don't mind, don't mind risk it's you know it's one of those inherently risky careers right um it probably explains like some other stuff i've done like you know combat sports and stuff like i'm i'm willing to physically take risks but i think i probably changed a little bit since having kids actually yes it does <laughs> it does make you uh reassess completely completely changes the yeah just like you know i've when when it's just you, you yeah. I, I didn't really think of any of the behaviours as risky as such. I just didn't really, I never really thought about. It. I just kind of done them and enjoyed them and stuff and did things. But when you when you have children, I think now like do do I really want to go down the gym and get punched in the head every day? You know, is that is that you know? I obviously want to be kind of be able to have conversation when I get older. But also as well, like I want to be around for my children, right? Like I don't. I don't want something to happen. I watched um, one of the lads from my gym. He wasn't like a good buddy of mine or anything like that, but he was good mates with some of my training partners. Went to watch him fight. Um, I was literally right outside the ring, like literally. And he, he's in this in this absolute war with this guy. The guy's a monster. And the guy ends up uh, landing like, a big right hand and then left hook. Knocks out, knocks out um, our training partner. He just didn't get up. He just like he was on on the canvas and he was just like boom, like come was like lifeless. And I was like, fuck, that was terrible, like bad. And I've seen knockouts, loads of knockouts, right? And this this was I was like right next to it, it was just in front of me. I was like always on like stage, like the kind of the VIP seat. So I was like on the seat, looking right next to it, and it happened just in front of me. And he's like, I was thinking, I was looking around at the lads, and I was thinking, fuck, he, he's not getting up. And anyway, the ambulance was in there. They were trying to re revive him. He was, he was down for about thirty minutes and he was on the floor. And then he gets, they get the spinal board out, bring him 
the ambulance uh, to hospital. He ended up, he ended up having like a huge bleed in the brain. Um, they managed to save his life, but he's now physically unable to do most things. Yeah. Psychologically unable to. He's like he's kind of he's at his mental age. He's kind of like a you know, a young child type thing now. He's like he will have to rely on care for the rest of his life. Um, and that's from doing a sport that he loved, and we you know we are aware of the risk. But since having kids, I'm like, do I want to do that? Even like, even with cycling, right? There's nothing that pisses me off more. I go, I go out cycling. I love cycling. Um, it's part, you know, part of the sport I do at the moment. And but you go out on the road, and it is brutal out there, right? You are, it's it is kind of a numbers game out there. Like the drivers are reckless. They they would and. They don't realise how close they are to killing you every time they do something stupid, right? And I've seen loads. I know loads of lads that have been seriously injured from cycling. People have died and stuff. And I'm and I'm out on the road and going just going for a Sunday long ride. Do you know what I mean? Just a casual ride. And some lunatic tries to take me out. I'm thinking and 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 then they try and blame you, like you've done. Like, and they don't give you the risk. It's like so. Even that, like I, I do a lot of my cycling now indoors, like on turbo train, and I, I typically go out maybe once a week or once every two weeks, just because I'm not, I'm not looking to get taken out by some knobhead, knobhead in the car. Yeah, yeah. And they also, do. and I, I don't get road rage in the car, but when I'm on my bike, I get pretty angry pretty quick. I just, I just can't help myself because I know. That they're, you know, if I'm in the car, someone does something stupid, we have a little collision. It might not be, it might not be that bad, right? Someone climbs onto the bike. I know that it's serious, so it could potentially be very serious. So I get angry quick on the bike, mm. um, and everyone's probably thinking, "Shut up, mate! You're wearing lycra, go, you know." But I'm like, "No, if you want to pull over your car, we'll have we'll have the proper discussion." They do this thing. I, I don't know if this is countrywide, but they do it down here. The drivers are afraid to cross the white line even when there's like nothing coming in the opposite direction, they, they see it as like their mission is they've got to squeeze past you on the bike, but not go over the white line. Right. And, and it's, 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 it makes you wonder how, you know, how people can be that stupid. But people, it, it, I've, I've put something on my social media the other day saying that they should make every driver about once every two to three years cycle 10 miles on a bike along the road just so they know what it feels like to be on a bike. Do you know what I mean? Like, make, expose everyone to it. Like, so that, I mean, obviously it will never happen, but is it in my little, my little fantasy world, that would be the best thing. Put the, fear, put the fear into them. They understand that when you're on a bike, you feel extremely exposed, right? Like, there's p- cars coming past you, and, like, cars pull out and stuff all the time. Like, the other day, I was, I was literally in the aero position. I must be going about 25 miles an hour. I was on, I was kind of, like, middle-ish of my, of my lane going through going through a place called Henlow. There's cars parked up on the on the on the right hand side of me. And this lorry, right, has come out into onto my sides because there's cars parked on his side of the road. And he's heading to me head on. Like all I can see is this coming towards me like like and I've had to like swerve like barely, barely got out of the arrow position. I still had one arm in the arrow bar. I've grabbed my handlebar I've gone like this um almost hit the curb. And I'm pretty sure he didn't even see me. I I don't know if he saw me or not. And I was just like, then I just like sat up and I slowed down for about half an hour. I was just like, what the fuck is this? Like I almost almost died there. Like like, there was like a head-on collision with this lunatic in the lorry. He's just not paying attention. 
I don't know whether he saw, I don't know whether he saw me or not. I've got no idea. Mm. I don't think he did, but it, I suppose it doesn't help being in the aero position. You're a bit smaller, but and you're moving maybe a bit faster than what people would expect a cyclist to move. But at the same point in time, it's like, come on, mate, open your eyes and look. So it's it's <laughs> it is brutal. Yeah, they should fit a device to all uh, drivers that if you come within five meters of a cyclist you get a 90 million volt shock yeah, yeah. to your balls <laughs> or your bits that would stop these fuckers mate they're fucking they're ruthless they're, they're, it's happened it's only happened three times right i don't know what why people think this is a good idea right so and the interesting thing it's happened twice on one night so one night last summer i was going out and i was cycling around the local lanes um, on, on my bike, I was on my road bike, having a good time cycling. It's beautiful weather. It's probably a half seven evening, and some some knobheads, two two young lads in the car, as they're driving past to overtake me, they've like screamed at me to try and spook me. So I've gone like this, right, on my bike. So I'm like, whoa, what the hell's that? And then they're laughing and they drive anyway. I tried my best to catch up with them, and they and they were gone right. About twenty minutes later, it happened again, and I was like, what what are people drinking tonight? And it was, I, I believe, it was in the. Um, it was, I think it was in the maybe in the World Cup. It was the World Cup last year. Oh, mate, now you're asking. I uh, yeah, well, it was, wasn't maybe it? it was, maybe it was the World Cup time. Maybe last year or the year before, wherever it was. But it might be. It was around that sort of time. Was there was quite quite a few people in pubs and stuff, or maybe the weather was really nice. I can't really remember. But it happened twice in one night, and then it happened again about two weeks ago. But this time it was a guy on a moped, right? So this guy on a moped's come part is 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 is. is He's overtook me and he's like, ah, shouted like to try and spook me, but I didn't really react. I sort of looked. But he's on a moped, you can only go 30 mile an hour, right? So, or 40 mile an hour, you can't go that fast. And I was like, why have you just done that? So I, I started bombing it on my cycle to, to bike to catch it. So I was like, you, 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 you know, and I was so, I was so angry. I've, I've actually not had a fist fight in like, in, in normal life, civilian life type thing. I've obviously done competitive stuff, but since I was a kid, right? Since I was like 18 or whatever. But I'm angry right now, right? And this and and, and this guy is going, oh, I'm so angry. I can see in my head visions of me booting him off his bike and, and, as I catch him. Um, just so he understands that there's consequences to actions. I think that's another thing why people think they can get away with stuff like this because there isn't inherently any consequence to doing stuff like that normally. People just let it slide. If people didn't let it slide, people understand, actually, I shouldn't do stuff like that to people. You know, the way I saw it was, you, okay, in your head, you, you're, only, you're only shouting at me, right? You're only shouting something at me. In my head is, your shouting could cause me to crash, which could kill me. I've got children. So, and you could potentially really impact their lives. That's, that's how I'm seeing it. So it's super personal for me. Like, anyway, I, he, <laughs> he just about managed to get away. Um, I got caught up behind some traffic that was moving slow. Couldn't get past it. And he disappeared off into the distance down this hill. It took me about probably about five minutes for my blood pressure to come back down when I carried on cycling. But like the, oh, it's just I just don't understand some people. It's just really, really madness. We're gonna call you Ronnie Pickering. Yeah. <laughs> Have you yeah, seen John, that? I've not, Have you seen I've, that I've, 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 no, I haven't seen it. No, no. Oh, mate, get on YouTube, Ronnie Pickering. Bless you, Ronnie. If you ever get the chance to uh, watch this for some yeah, random random I'm reason. Like, Super chilled, right? Like all this, I'm like really relaxed person. Like I'm takes, I, I, I would, I would very rarely get angry at anything that's, that's done to me. And I think 
the the, only, the the big change is where I feel like something's going to impact my children. That's what's yeah. changed. So previously, if that happened to me, I would just laugh and probably like give them a little finger and say, "Go away, mate." Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I just think it's probably, probably think it's quite funny, like nice try, whatever. But since like since having children, like I just think that I everything. I don't know whether it's like it's not even like a conscious thing. It's just straight away. I'm like that's that's personal to me now because. I feel like that could potentially impact my children's lives. So, and it's just, it's just, uh, it's crazy how your physiology can influence and take over. Yeah. Halford should start selling um, Milan anti-tank missiles that you can fit on your handlebars. <laughs> that would sort it all out, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, uh, I mean, even like, I don't know, like some sort of like slingshot type device on the aero bars would do. I could aim that towards them and then pull it, pull it back. That would that that would be enough. And if I could aim it at, at his, at his stupid pee head, I would have, I would have got him. But um, yeah, I, I just don't understand people sometimes. But it's yeah. So I, I mean, even even with all my training, I just try not to spend that much time on the road. One for for my own health and safety, and probably now after this discussion for other people's health and safety as well. <laughs> yeah, best thing: get up five in the morning and go before everyone else is awake. <laughs> hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. That's what I Good blast then. Um, back to Afghanistan, Dale. What did, did you have any memorable contacts? Yeah. I've said, I've asked this question to some people on the podcast and they were like, yeah, like every single day. <laughs> yeah, we had a lot. Yeah. I mean, I think the, so when I was in Kajaki, I was, um, I was on a uh, mortar line. So we were, sort of semi-protected right we were within the within the um within the kind of compound um but the lads would be getting the lads in kajaki would be getting in contact all the time um and we we as, as a mortar line we fought we fired so many rounds we fired our mortar line bear in mind there's probably 13 of us on the line fired about thirty thousand rounds in, in in the um in the uh in the tour which was a lot of rounds and they brought, they brought in these kind of airburst rounds um, on that tour, um, which we were using, and there were so many, so many contacts. But when I went to when I went to Sangin, my role was uh, I was attached to a, a section in Bravo Company uh, on the ground with them, and I was uh, doing the sixty millimeter handheld role. Um, so we were we were in some some he- few quite a few hairy moments. I mean, uh, did any of them stand out? I mean, the the, the thing I have the most the most memory of um because there were some hairy moments of course but the thing i have the biggest memory of is we were it was the first time that like so i'd fired towards people before right i never like like knew that any of my rounds had killed anyone right had took it um like i knew that we you know as you know we we were in contact and stuff and fired towards people but i never thought that my rounds knew or I didn't know, right? So um I knew on the I knew on the mortar line as a, as a collective we we had many confirmed kills as a on the mortar line because it would get reported over the ICOM scan, scanner after we'd 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 contact uh, after we'd been in contact. I mean we're in huge contacts. But then when I was when I went on this um I was in I was in Sangin and we'd go out on these patrols, we'd get in contact and stuff like that. But one day we was in the um we was in the Sangin DC. And we started getting some some indirect fire, 107 
millimeter rockets and there was like there's like this kind of like big building in Sang VC that's like using fire sort for some fire support position and the the tankies that are up in the fire support position could see the guy that was um that was firing the rockets it was in this kind of tree line they could see him but they couldn't engage him he was a bit too far away so they got got onto us on the radio and it was basically me and another another lad and we were we did there wasn't a uh, 81 millimeter mortal barrel in in Sangin. um there was a there was a section in in Inkerman which was a little bit further away uh maybe 5k north of Sangin, but there was nothing in Sangin. so we just had this handheld i remember the lads like basically it's giving us like a kind of general direction where the guy was we fought so I, I on my own ended up firing this kind of 60 millimeter handheld over over a um i couldn't see the guy because there's a compound wall in between but in the direction of the tree line which they gave me so we got kind of like yeah give me he gave us a distance and i put the charges on the on the, on the round and, and and fired it and we we just just missed him but then they gave me a slight adjustment and bearing in mind i'm like it's a barrel that you're holding like this right like so you're sort of you control the elevation and the, the the kind of direction of it and the you know you make a correction that you might not be as accurate as you think it you know it's not like on on the site on the on the 81 where you can make smaller corrections and it'll be more accurate so i think so anyway so i fired the second round and it's take it's um it took anyway it took this guy out airburst round um took him out and confirmed and um yeah, I just remember like that was the first time like I'd ever had that single me responsible for that, if that makes sense. Mm. Like rather than it being like a collective, like people firing towards someone or like the mortar line, um, you know, you, I was a member of, of the mortar line, I was on the barrel, you know, I was either putting the put another two or number one or whatever it is. It was just it was just like I remember thinking like as it was just like a, and it was everyone lads were like the, the tankies like buzzing down the radio, like, oh, like yeah, you know, you know, we've hit him, I couldn't believe it sort of thing. Um, and I remember thinking, like, oh, it's just, it was just like a weird feeling. It was, it was just like, fuck. <laughs> um, um, it felt, you know, it felt kind of good, but not good. It was just, it was just a weird feeling um, to feel. Do you have any like difference of feeling now that you're, can we say, older and wiser, or? or I mean, it's, it's, I guess what I'm getting at is a big thing in it to kill someone. And, and I've, I've said this to lads, not on the podcast, but lads that I know, I've seen them really battling like PTSD and I'm, yeah. and, and I, 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 it's weird. I think, <clears throat> no, I'll, I'll, I'll say, I'll just, the, Dale, the point I was making, I've said to these lads, listen, you know, it, it, you, you leave the past behind. It was a conflict. Da, 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 you did. And they're like, oh, no, Chris, I won't bother about killing the enemy. Yeah. I'll, I'll fucking fuck them. I was bothered that my mate died. And I'm like, oh, because I'm a sort of, yeah. you know, humanitarian. I, I think everyone's equal and we shouldn't be fucking killing yeah. anyone. But, but yeah, I'll, I'm, I'm, I'm the same. I think, I, 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 yeah, I think like for, for, I think that a lot of lads that I, I know with, that have had uh, issues with PTSD and stuff. It's kind of like a feeling of almost like some people would say like it's feeling like they felt like maybe they could have done something right. Um, mm. Someone died and maybe they could have influenced the the outcome. Uh, one of their mates died, like, but reality of the situation is it's you're in a war fighting situation. There's not much you could you know maybe you could have made different decisions and stuff. But it's like you're in it's in real contact like it's and 
it's not a night, you know, that's not a nice burden to carry. But I don't, I don't have anything like that. In terms of the, the killing of people, I think I'm kind of like a little bit like, I th- it depends on like it depends on once again. I don't think anyone should really die. But I think it, it depends on the context of it. All right. So it's like there's there's set like you're in you're you're there doing a job, right? And someone and he and they're fighting towards you. You're fighting. You're just kind of defending yourself um it's almost that it was almost it was self-defense you know in in, in that in that situation yeah like, firing into the camp there's other people at risk um and it just it it doesn't weigh on me quite the way it would if it was like i don't know like if say for instance i went on a night out and um so, like oh i wouldn't i wouldn't fight on a night out but I went on a night out and um I'd end up punching someone and killed them. That would weigh on me a lot more. That makes sense because yeah. you feel like because I'd feel like in that situation, that person's probably not a qu- like people. Everyone, everyone thinks they're a bit tough on a night out, but after a few beers. But the reality of the situation, I know from being in the combat sports background um, and doing you know fighting with professional professional fighters for years, that the average person is ill-equipped to combat on the street. So they're. They're confident, um, but they're they're compromised in terms of their ability to to fight back. So, um, so me, you know, hitting some drunk person on the night out, and that would that that would be against the way you know the way I value you know, my values in the first place. But if something then seriously happens to that person, that would really weigh heavy on me. That would that wouldn't that wouldn't be a nice thing to live with because you just know that that person is kind of even though they've been a bit of a twat, they're just they're a sitting duck, right? They're easy easy target um where and uh, but then again if you know if say for instance if something happened and you would try like you're surrounded by people and it was like you for whatever reason you're thinking shit like, i'm in trouble here like yeah you know, i could potentially get seriously hurt here and then then if something happens and you seriously hurt someone once again it's like like it's it's almost internal to to for humans to try and survive right um and once again, I'm thinking about that, you know, now, like in, in turn, inside of me, it's like I've got children, et cetera. So maybe in that situation, if it was, you know, I wouldn't feel as bad. It depends. I think it's all, it's all context based. Yes. Yes, exactly. Of course it is. And um, the powers that be, if we can call them that, have got a responsibility to a duty of care over the military. And uh, I think that's been abused in the last. 20 years but that's another that's another that's another road that we don't need to go down for this podcast because i'm really fascinated um dale to chat about your iron man stuff but before we do did did, shall we just give chris harrison a mention yeah so chris chris harrison was uh was my closest mate when i was when i was in the royal marines um he was in my mortar section um we he he you know we spent a lot of time together on the piss um uh, for a good few years together as, as good mates and when i left in 2009 um in fact like just just so in 2009 i left and to uh, early 2010 just before christmas deployed to afghanistan we actually went out on the piss just me and him in watford um and then he went on tour and then i was i was sat at home one day and um 
get a phone call from from one of the lads, a guy called Neil, and I was looking at my phone thinking, why the fuck is Neil ringing me? Like, I haven't spoken to him in ages, like, and I just knew straight away. I was just like looking at the phone, dreading answering the phone, thinking, fuck, like this, he's not ringing me for a good reason. I was like, Neil, what's up? He's like, uh, yeah, uh, Dale, I've got some bad news. I was like, what's 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 the news, mate? And he's like, it's Chris, and I was just, I was just like, knew. I knew that it weren't going to be like, uh, like he's like, he's just lost a limb or something. Like that. And that sounds like trivial, right? Like it sounds like just because, but because I've seen so many lads that have done that and they've been around them and stuff. I knew it was good. It just, by the time of his voice, I could tell that it was like, it was like, it was not, it was more serious, right? Mm. He's like, mate, Chris, Chris yesterday, um, yesterday was blown up um, in Sangin. He died. He basically died in, in the arms of one of the lads. So it was just it would, and and then obviously we then he, he was brought back and went to a funeral and he left like his his uh, wife behind. And the year before, I, me and the lads were at his wedding, um, and just like and I, I left at that point, and it kind of pushed like pushed me away from military stuff for a long period of time, maybe about five years or something, where I just was like. Do you know what? I just want to park that and not have to deal with any of that stuff. Mm. Um, and it weren't until like a few years later I could start to deal with it. In fact, like I'm not really like a grave visitor, if that makes sense. Like I don't like so, so like Chris. I went obviously went to the funeral and all that type of stuff, but then just I'm not the sort of person to go and visit graves. And I didn't for a while um, until more more recent more recently, a few years ago, where I started to visit his grave more regularly. Um, just because I probably had other stuff myself I had to deal with, right? Um, and it's just like, for me, it's just not going, I don't know, it just, it's going to these places don't 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 seem to help me. It's the same with my, with my old man. My old man passed away a few years ago. And like going to, going to his grave doesn't seem to help me that much. It just, I don't know, I just don't get, and I don't get, some people get stuff out of that. I just don't, I just think, I don't get a lot out of it. So, although I do go and visit, of course, but I just don't, as frequently as like many many people would do because it's just i don't know for me it's just that his memory's there and you know if i want to kind of like have some sort of internal conversation with him i kind of do it myself in my own sort of time and i don't need to be in that sort of uh, thing but yeah chris harrison literally anyone that knew chris would he was the one of the nicest guys you ever meet really larger than life character um epic on the night out, um, he used to do this thing called an atomic lunge on the dance floor. Like he'd know he was known for it. Big, larger than life guy, really big guy, um, carried at least a bit of muscle mass. He had a real big presence, um, and he was like one of like the. He was a great boonek, um, uh, and he was definitely he's definitely been sorely missed by everyone that, that knew him. Yeah, God bless you, Chris. Um, yes, funny in it. We join up for that job, and that's part and parcel yeah. of it and yet you don't even think about that do you when you when you said yeah it's just and, and i'm now being a bit older like it's kind of i mean i left the core behind many years ago i left in 2009 um and you know 2022 now so chris died in 2010 like but at the time like i chris was 25 i believe when he passed away and i and i was younger at the time and i kind of you know, seeing him as kind of like, almost like a big brother type thing, um, like you know, super close, and um, it was like losing, was like it's like losing a family member. Mm. So exactly the same as like, losing someone who you were super close with. Like, as a, that to me, that was the most like significant 
trauma death that I'd ever had to deal with, basically. The closest person to me that I've ever had. Um, dying at that point, and my dad's died later. But there's also like a different feeling. Like it's like, like losing Chris was like losing a brother, then you lose, losing your parents, different type of thing. It's, it's kind of like they have different, you have different emotions attached to them and stuff. But he, um, yeah, he was, a, he, was a, he was a great guy. But I just remember thinking like, like, like go back to it now, like, I remember thinking he was like, he was 25, he was a few years old, a couple of years older than me at the time, or a few years older than me at the time. Um, I remember thinking like, like, because I was young, he was older type thing, if that makes sense. Now I look back and I'm thinking, fuck, man, like, he's 25, right? He's a 25 year old that lost his life in Afghanistan. Like, what, what, what's, what's the, you know, that's just such a waste of a, a life, especially with someone like a life that's so vibrant and so much, had so much energy, honestly. Like, Anyone that meet him or met him or meet would meet him would say the exact same thing. Larger than life personality, like literally brought energy to every room. Like, and if you know, Boonex are known for their ability to um, be eat cheerful, cray- eat cheerful. yeah, but in in and, and in shit situations, um, but also they could drip a little bit too. But like, Chris was like literally, um, mate, like in terms of morale, if you're looking for morale. Chris, Chris would provide it. He was just that fucking guy. Yes, big respect, Chris. So, Dale, tell me, um, what came first then? The MMA, the, the mixed martial arts fighting, or, or triathlon? Um, MMA came first. Although, you know, I've done elements of triathlon and stuff previously, but not like triathlon. Um, I've, you know, run, cycle, stuff like that. But MMA came first. Like when, I left, when I left the core, uh, I needed something that, basically was going to keep me, I wanted to do something that was hard, that would keep me engaged with training and keep me super fit and healthy because you build up all this strength. And I was always into my fit. So I'd always, when I was in the core, I'd be training two, three times a day, every day. Um, we'd have the, the opportunity to, so why not? I'd make use of the time to train. So I was super fit, super strong. Um, and I was like, I need something to keep me fit and along that path. So I started doing mixed martial arts. And I've done a little bit of combat sports before, but as, as I started going to classes and started getting like, like I'm enjoying this, like going more and more and more. I just, I just like training. So I was just training like a lot. Um, started getting pretty good. And then my coach was like, oh, you should do some amateur competition. Did that. And he's like, oh, you should do some professional competition. And all of a sudden I'm fighting in arenas. It was, a, like, it was mad really. Um, I never had any plans to compete. And all of a sudden I was fighting in front of thousands of people. So it was cool. Um, I enjoyed it. But then triathlons come a little bit later. Like So in terms of like triathlon, I had a, um, in, after having my children, I kind of, like having children, like I had like this period of time. Well, in fact, I circle back a little bit. I started my business. When I started my business, I kind of was so busy like building the business initially. Like I was working like stupid hours. I was only doing a little bit of training. And I've always trained like all the time. I train every day normally and I started my business and I went from like training every day to training like two, three times a week, just ticking over. And, I, and then my, and, but I was still, I was still fit and healthy and strong. But then when my kids come along, like first my son, sleep went out the window, like it was carnage for like a year or something like that. And my training went massively downhill. Um, and then my daughter came along, there's, there's two of them. And I was like, I need something to, to, get me back get me back motivated training again like it's falling apart like i was i've got an inflammatory joint condition called psoriatic arthritis that started flaring up bad like i put on weight 
Um, it's pissing me off. I was getting like down. Um, you know, I, I'm not the sort of person like I, I've usually used exercise to control kind of my, my weight, my health, all that type of stuff. And I wasn't. I was getting well frustrated because I couldn't. I wasn't doing it. So I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna book an Ironman. And I'm gonna start training for it. And then so, so I booked the Ironman, started to train, and that's what got that's what got me into triathlon. Like, but to circle back a little bit before that. In 2013, I had this like major hip surgery from a from an injury that I had in um, from combat sports. So I ended up having some bone taken out of my hip, a load of cartilage removed, uh, part of the labrum removed, and out, and end up starting starting to rehab it. It's what put it was what put my MMA career to an end really because I had the surgery and then it took me about two years to fully rehab it to the point where I was like comfortable doing a lot of the stuff. And at that point, I was busy with work and business, and I was just like, I don't. It's it was just hard to get back into it at that level. Like I missed, like everyone that I was here with was here now, right? So it was it was hard to play catch up, and I couldn't because I was competing at the top of like Europe and, and UK MMA on like the big shows. I couldn't. There was no like place for me just to insert back into fighting some some people that were, weren't experienced. So I was going to come back and fight on bigger shows against bigger opponents and. I just weren't ready for it. So I just parked that. Um, and, and at a time, I remember my surgeon telling me like that I, I, like I shouldn't be doing combat sports anyway, um, but I carried on doing it. But he also said to me like to never run again. He basically said, your hips, he's like, look, look, look at this image. Your hips like an 80-year-old's hip. Like there's no, there's no, you know, we took basically taken all of the, or, you know, most of the cartilage on the acetabular surface, the labor was removed. You need to be doing low impact stuff, not running. Um, I was like, look, I want to run. He's like, we one of the main reasons they had the surgery, so I can get back to doing all this stuff and stuff. What are you talking about? He's like, no, no, no. He's like, when we went in there, it was a lot worse than what, what we thought it was um, on the MRI. We couldn't see some of this stuff on the MRI. It looked worse when we went in there. We had to take more cartilage out. And I was like, Fuck. fortunately, I'm in the I was in the right profession, you know, in terms of like. Um, I do, what I do every, every day is help people recover from pain, injury, rehab and stuff. So I started just to rehab myself. Um, and yeah, fortunately, I didn't take the surgeon's advice and to get, take anyone's advice. I knew what my body was, I knew what my body was about. I knew what I could do. I knew professionally what I did with people previously and seeing how they recover and stuff like that. So I knew that there was, there was more variables at play. And anyway, yeah, I've been able to get back and do some really good stuff since. Yeah, good stuff. We could talk about the alternative side of therapy for ages. I don't know if you noticed, but I'm always like shifting in my seat. It's because my back's, excuse my French folks, it's fucked. Um, but uh, so, yeah, I have an avid interest. I'm trying to avoid uh, surgery at the moment. Um, Dale, tell me, it's a big old thing to step into a, is it a cage in MMA? It's a cage fighting, right? Yeah. That's a, did you did you see the um that series Kingdom? Uh, no. Oh mate, you're missing a trick. It's about what these. It? Uh, it's about these cage fighters in um uh, Los Angeles, like right in the heart of that fighting scene. Yeah. Um, it was about uh, I think it ran for two series. I, I, I doesn't really matter, but it was bloody brilliant. It was just brilliant. Yes. It was all into. You know, it wasn't just about fighting, it's about their personal lives, about their party, and they're all like mad party heads. And and um it was just, you know, all the wearing the bin bags in the sauna and all this yeah. stuff. And 
and it's, it was, in, it's interesting because I, I mean that that sounds epic and i have obviously been in that being in that sport i have you know i've been around that sport for a long time and know lots of fighters competing at a very high level myself um so i'm very like desensitized to all of it if that makes sense like mm. people look at fighters and be like oh, like like they put them on this kind of pedestal like, oh man this guy's like beast you know like and but i just got i I just look at them as normal. I don't even, I know so many fighters. I work with them professionally now in terms of helping them recover. Um, and these people are literally killers. Like they're so physically talented, like with, with their ability to do combat. But because I'm like, because I've been around it for so long, I'm so desensitized to it. It's just like, it's all like normal behavior to me. Um, like, so people, you know, you know, you know, drastic weight cuts, saunas, all of I mean, some fighters are wild, man. They're literally, I mean, they just they've got that personality type which enables them to go and fight people right um, and uh, most people would think well that's a bit, bit crazy i ain't gonna go in there one-on-one -on -one with someone who's trained to fight and go and fight them it's a bit like why would you do that right it, it's like it's it doesn't doesn't really make that much sense but you have to have something some sort of element in your brain that allows you to do that um but yeah i'm desensitized to it but i'll definitely enjoy that um yeah it's weird, like, everyone used to say like oh you know you're fight, like like a lot of people would ask me that, um, and they assume that it wouldn't be the case. They're like, did you get scared before you used to, used to fight? That was the one, like, you used to get scared. Or, and I, I, I used to shit myself before fights. <laughs> like, I, 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 I was completely fine all through training camp, albeit like almost like, like obsessed, right? So every, as soon as you like, you're just doing your normal training, normal training, normal training, bang, you book a fight. And then it's just like, I can't think of anything else. All I can think about is the fight, like my opponent, like what I'm doing with my training. All of a sudden, your whole life becomes like, because at the end of it, you have to go and fight someone. Like it's not like, and I even get a little bit like that around like training in general, but nowhere near to the, to the level you would when you when you got a, got a fight coming up because you're gonna go and fight this person who you don't really know their their skill sets. You know, you only know, you know what you've, you've seen, um, like shown publicly, like in competition. So you know that people know much more than what's been shown, right? Because you're fighting against another skilled opponent. So they, you can't do everything that you would do in the gym against a skilled opponent. You're you're having to gauge what their skills are on the move whilst you're doing it, right? So these fighters are obviously much more skilled than what you could see when you've been watching a fight. But I used to be fine throughout training, albeit very obsessed. Fine up until the weigh-in, blah, blah, I'd get to the day of the fight. I'd turn up to the arena and I'd be like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, this makes no sense whatsoever. Like, I started thinking, Dale, you could do anything other than go and fight some some other good guy that's been trained to fight, some another young, athletic, powerful person that's been that's training day in, day out to, to beat someone like that. I was like, I started thinking to myself, what the hell are you doing? Like, this is just ridiculous. This is not normal behavior anyway. I get super nervous. I do the warm-up and stuff and, like, anxiety and like real anxiety like before the fight like, you, like to, to the fact the point you're like, warming up and you're getting out of breath throwing a few punches like your adrenaline's so high you're getting out of breath and you're just like and you're trying to trying to like control it and breathe and the coach is like come on relax now and you kind of get into it and then my my sort of nerves and stuff used to peak like you kind of like the my the last probably four or five fights were all filmed and like televised all that type of stuff. So you'd be like behind the curtain, ready to make the walk and your mu music and you'd be waiting there for like a couple of minutes before 
before you kind of make the walk and it's all like camera in your face sort of thing you're walking up um i remember being like that that is the moment where i was like fuck this is real like i'm going i'm going to go and fight someone like this is and you kind of feel like is there any way to me me to go like run out the arena sort of thing and like but it's just something that keeps you there like you know i'm just gonna go and i'm gonna go and do this anyway and you make the walk nerve-wracking vaseline on get into the cage lock the door just you the, your opponent the referee thousands of people around you in the arena but at that moment it's like none of it's like you're not computing any of it you can just see the opponent and the ref and then he's like peak nerves and then bang when the when the when the bell goes as soon as the first punch is thrown the nerves are gone there are no nerves anymore because you're fighting right you're in the you're in the situation now you know you have to at this point you you can't there's no option to flee right there's no option to to leave or anything like that you have to you have to deal with it in front of you and you, you and you just it just goes away it becomes very much like oh no i do this in training this is kind of why this is what i do every day in training we beat each other up this is kind of and it becomes quite normal but it's that build up because bear in mind mma is not it's not like you haven't got shin guards you've got tiny little gloves on you can elbow each other knee each other punch kick submissions grapples wrestling throw each other it's like the rules allow for a real diverse amount of fighting to happen right so you know you, you could you, you know for a fact you could you could be getting elbowed in the head in the head in fact i had both my two front teeth knocked out in the MMA fight. Like I threw an overhand right, and as I dug down, the guy jumped up with a knee, and it smashed me straight in the mouth, knocked my two front teeth out. And I carried on fighting, but I was having to fight with my teeth swelling around my mouth. Um, other times, you know, big in positions like you get cuts or you know wherever it is. Um, it's a it's a it's a mad game, um, but it's it's weird. It's kind of like it's very when you do it. When you train it a lot, you kind of get desensitized to all that. Um, it's only for me, it was just peak fight day where I feel all the. Yes, it's a bit different to my scenario because people ask me if I get nervous before doing a big charity stunt, whether it's like run the country or yeah. I did four Iron Men in one go once, which is quite interesting. <laughs> yeah, I did it with eight weeks training, though, having come last in my first ever triathlon. Wow. Um, which kind of, but the thing is, I always say to people, like, if you're running at, say, a half marathon, we don't need to be nervous because it's not hard until the second hour. So you, yeah. you may as well wait an hour to be nervous. Yeah. And then when that hour's done, you'll be so into it. You ain't even thinking about nerves. You're thinking about dying. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. So, but, but in your case, it's the complete opposite. The moment you step into that cage, bang, it, there could be something to be nervous about. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting, but it's because like, I, I was like, a lot of people might be nervous throughout their whole camp, right? Like they start feeling those anxious and it's like, I, I was, I was lucky that I got it condensed into that period of time on the day. The, um, rather than kind of like a prolonged anxiety, nervousness throughout, um, a lot of people and a lot of people need help. The fighters need help with managing those nerves. Like sports psychologists um, are in good business with fighters. One hundred percent, it's a good good issue to be in because it be, mm. it does really affect your performance. So even to the point where, like, so you, 
you know, they're in there, they're fighting. But if you're going to land a shot, you have to commit to landing it, right? And when people are a little bit unsure, they won't, they won't quite commit. So they're safe, but they're not effective, right? So it's, it's, one, of, it's one of those things that it's like, that holds people back and it affects their performance. So, um, but yeah, I mean, four Ironmans in one go, mate. <laughs> um, that, sounds, that sounds brutal. Yeah, it was one of them ones where I almost thought I bit a bit off more than I could chew. Yeah. And I started to feel a bit stupid, but then I just persevered and 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 I would say smashed it out. It ended up with a I for for, for the last day of my Ironman, I'd entered an ultra, hundred mile, hundred mile ultra called the Robin Hood race in Sherwood Forest. And to add insult to injury, I kept missing the signs and going the wrong way. So when I checked my tracker at the end of it, I'd actually run 108 miles. 100, I'd done eight miles in the wrong direction after doing a, 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 a quadruple Ironman. So, oh. but uh, um, mate, what you went? I mean, you were a professional. That's that's a hell yeah. of an achievement. Yeah, I was. I mean, I was just just the way it worked out. I just, um, I just was. I worked. Obviously, I worked exceptionally hard to to. To, to get to that level like I, I put a lot of training hours and stuff but I also had a it was a sport that I was quite gifted at I, I, I was it's contact sports are kind of it's it's physical one of your physical attributes now I come straight out of the core um, I was very strong very fit right so I was able to ramp that up again to suit me for combat sports um, another thing I was very disciplined in my training so I was able to trained again you know you just keep showing up to classes learning adapting blah blah and um, was you know fortunate to be in high pressure situations in the armed forces there's a high pressure situations where you have to make decisions quickly and all this type of stuff and, and there's consequences to the decisions you make right so um and, and and i've always been quite uh so and then there's a skill element and my skills just improved over time so and i first started fighting i was more physical than skillful so I was able to get by by just like I was fit and strong and just like bully, bully, you know, bully my way through it type thing because I was, I was, I was, I trained for years. Um, but then as time goes goes on, you can't do that against skilled opponents. You they get found out pretty quickly. So my my skills got better and better and better. But where I, where I was sort of where I had an advantage, I think, was that those things I spoke about the kind of the psychological attributes helped me. Um, but also I was, I'm quite like i'm very i not methodical i'm kind of like i've got like a my brain's good at understanding like kind of decision making processes and stuff like i just feel like i could almost outsmart them a little like like they're like fight, my fight iq was high relative to my skill set i would say so i was i was more intelligent with my fighting and like i'd use what would work well for me i could kind of identify areas in the opponent that i could exploit type type thing rather than being I would say that actually probably 90, pr- pretty much most of the people I fought, or in fact, all of them, all of them would have been much more experienced than me. All of them probably had a bigger range of skills than me when I was fighting. Um, they probably had more of that, but I was just able to to use the ones that I knew would work better against them. Type thing. I'd be, I, was, and I, was able to, I was able to do that before, before fighting them, sort of look at them and, see what they what kind of they had and then also in there as well on, on the move like 
I bet I, I was quite good at identifying like patterns and seeing like what things, how they would respond to certain things and then making adaptions. So I think that that's what helped me more than anything. And then my skills are just improving alongside that. But once again, you, the, you know, as you go up, the level of skills are improving anyway for everyone else. So yeah, it was good. I mean, the fact, you know, I, I was, it was great to have a professional career in, in a sport. Like I never, at school, I was average, average athlete. So I'd, I'd never, I never thought that I'd ever, I couldn't, no, that's, that's, even just saying it, right? I, I competed, I used to be a professional athlete, right? That sounds, that coming out of my mouth, that sounds strange. Um, because I was never a professional athlete as, at, at, at school. I just, I just, it's just developed over time. I, I mean, and it's all, it's, it's the, it probably it's probably just the crossover the the kind of not a crossover but the accumulation of training over years and years and years that has allowed me to 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 be able to do that physically at that period of time um and i was quite i always liked com- combat anyway like i was when i was a kid you you know you'd probably struggle to find a picture when i wasn't like this um i, I just loved like human ninja turtles human uh, teenage mutant ninja turtles i love like thundercats and like even when and then just anything that was like where there was like fighting involved or just like action it was just superheroes what type of stuff i love i, I love that um so you know when i got to do it real real life real life doing it, i i i enjoyed it and it was fun but um and like i said i got to fight in some good big things and big shows and fight against some really good opponents and you know fought on sky sports and channel five and all this type of stuff which is once again, I'm removed from it now. I'm doing triathlon. I'm, I'm, I'm a dad bod uh, doing doing uh, long course triathlon right now. So um, it's a completely different situation, but it's uh, it's cool to look back at. Mate, let's come on to that. Incidentally, I'm going to send you a box set of the of the six billion dollar man. Six, yeah. six billion, six million, six million. We were so poor back in the seventies. It was yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, six million dollar man. If you like a good bloody fight you missed out on that because you're too young <laughs> we had six six million dollar man and then he went uh um it was lee lee majors starred in it it was this astronaut dude that got blown up on the launch pad or something or, or landing from space and they said we have the power to rebuild him he's steve austin the six million dollar man and he, he had a bionic eye bionic arm and bionic legs <laughs> so, anyway um what was i going to say uh what what was your sort of grandest title what what did you win i mean in- oh, I, I won a in mixed martial arts i fought for the I, I won a british title um professionally i um also fought for the the bama title which was a which was a big um Big belt. I lost to a guy called uh, Stevie Ray, who we went on to have like you know 15 fights or so in the UFC. So I mean, and that we went to decisions. That was kind of like my biggest fight. I fought some big guys on cage rows and stuff. I mean, I was like I was ranked in Europe, ranked in the UK. Like we, we, we it was we were at a good level, very good level. Um, I could have took the career further, you know, I believe, but injury and then it just just didn't just didn't happen to go that way. And like I said, I've never really. If you circle back, like I like to do different things. I never really had long-term goals. Like it was never, it was never my dream to be a professional fighter. I just happened to go with the journey that it took me on. And then, you know, when that journey came to an end, you know, injury, and then I kind of moved on with my life, set up business and stuff. That was just, you know, moving on to the next stage of something else, right? 
and now I now I get to work with fighters in a different capacity and I get to do other physical stuff that challenges me. Um so like for me at the moment, Ironman's about just like pushing my boundaries and like seeing sort of seeing what I've what I've got in me at the moment. Just I just want to feel like I want to feel that that hard that hardship when I'm when I'm training and when I'm when I'm competing. I want to feel like the the point where I want to quit. I want to be at that point, um, and I want to feel like how do I how do I get through? I want to feel, I want to kind of just experience it. Like how do I get? How do I navigate it? How do I push through it? And so I just I feel like that's it's always been in me to want want to feel that. And it's just it's kind of you get to I feel like by doing stuff like that you really get to know yourself. It's a shame I didn't know you back in your fighting career because. I would have taught you the ultimate trick in the Go fight. On, tell me. Uh, double punch, mate. Double punch. Yeah, or if you're French, the uh, double punché. Double punché. Like like this. Yeah. Do you know what? My my. I was um. I was holding my hands up for my daughter earlier, and she was doing the double punché. She knows so, it. She knows it. I, mean, I didn't even teach her it. Mate, she's going a long way. She's obviously heard my reputation. Yeah, I mean, she has. She's been on Instagram and YouTube a little bit, so maybe it's something, something to do with that. Yeah, mind you, the 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 other side of the coin is if you need to avoid the double punch, you just turn sideways quickly. Turn sideways. I mean, that's how you avoid any punch, actually. <laughs> Triathlon, the the word that sinks fear into the heart of every man and woman. How did that come about? I needed something to um, get me motivated again in terms of training after um, having my children because I'm kind of training sort of fell off, um, fell off course. It wasn't where it wasn't where it needed to be. Um, I was feeling a bit shitty about myself and putting on weight and energy was low and stuff like that. So yeah, I just decided to book an Ironman. I was like, let's let's, let's get stuck into this and see what this sport's about. How's how's your swimming? Swimming. Um, it's, it's one of the ones I was just like, you know, I, I, I do a lot of swimming because I was crap at it. So it's just, I, I have to do a lot of it and I'm slowly improving, getting better. Like I'm, I'll be, I'm much better equipped to swim this year than I was last year, for instance, but I'm still pretty crap. Um, but I only sort of started realising recently that actually it's important to get out of the water in a good position rather than like just thinking, oh, I'm just going to rely on the bike to kind of pull me through. If you get out of the, like last year, I ended up like gaining like 400 places on the bike um, because I was that far back <laughs> getting out of the water. Um, you just make things hard for yourself. So um, this year, I'm um, hopefully come out in the water, hopefully a little bit further ahead in the field. And then that makes things a little bit easier. Maybe the weather conditions are a bit better this year. Also. Do you, are you naturally buoyant? No. I'm guessing no, no. No, I sink bad, real, real badly. I can't, I can't sort of like lie in the water and float. No. Um, my my wife makes me laugh. She's like, for years on holiday and stuff, she'd be like, um, she's like, like everyone. She's she's just, her thing was everyone can float. If she lies in the water, she can just float. She's like everyone can float. Humans can float. I was like Debbie, I can't float. She goes, you, you can. You're just not relaxing. I was like, I'm relaxed. Like my legs are sinking. I'm gonna drown if. I just like carry on with this. Yeah, she she was adamant, but I definitely don't. I, I'm not buoyant at all. I I sink to the bottom. I need to keep my legs moving if I'm gonna. Uh, uh, otherwise, my legs will just drag along. But being in the wetsuit helps me significantly. 
Yeah, I've got a zone three, mate. It's like having a life jacket on it. Just keeps your head above water. Is it good, is it? Yeah, it's really... the um, Friends at home, triathlon wetsuits specifically designed so that the fabric on the arms is something ridiculous, like one mil. It's too, it's too rubbish. If you're in cold water, you yeah, start yeah. shivering your ass off. Yeah. But on your front and on your back and on your legs, it's five mil. And that in itself means you don't even have to swim. It, it you, you you bob, you bob oh, wow. about, you bob about there. Um, but I remember in the, in the Marines, my swimming test, where you jump off the diving board, you've got your kit on, you've got a rifle, you've got to swim down a pool, swim back, hand it all off to someone without touching the side. That was my hardest. That was actually harder than the endurance course for me. That I, I didn't pass it until the fortnight of the uh, passing out parade. Yeah, I was alright. I could do like I could do the breaststroke. I found that like I was pretty strong with that. But I don't know what it was. Like I had a couple of experiences when I was younger where like I almost not almost drowned, but I was, thought like I was. I felt like I was going to drown. Like I had to be dragged out of the water once uh, when I was a young kid. And there's something about like having my face in the water. Would I didn't feel like I was panicked, but my breath told me something completely different, right? So I'd get super out of breath really, really quickly if my face was in the water, as opposed to being out of the water. The breaststroke was okay, because you dip it in and out. But when I started doing front crawl, I just, just it's almost like the, the downward facing, looking towards the floor, the bottom sort of caused some sort of panic response. But over time, I got used to it. In fact, even last year in a triathlon, it was a mass start. It was only probably about 300, 300 or 400 racing, but in a mass start, like for some reason, I position myself right in the middle. I don't know why. Like, shouldn't be in the middle. I should be off to the flank a little bit for the start, and then sort of get tucked in in the middle of the thick in the thick of things. Crappy swimmer. Everyone starts belting along, and I'm like, yeah, "Let's go, let's go." We're racing, and then all of a sudden, I'm like, "This is." A, it was just like chaos. Couldn't see anything, and I just started like I swallowed some water, and all, and then I start panicking. Right, so I'm thinking, "Fuck!" Like. And then, and, and then, I, and the worst thing you can do, anyone knows, if you're in that sort of situation, is stop swimming because everyone just swims over you, right? Like everyone's there's this mass crowd of people. So anyway, I start stop coming up, looking around, like I'm, I'm like, they obviously got goggles on. You're looking around, there's lots of people splashing, and then everyone starts swimming over me, and I'm like, oh, I'm getting pulled under the water, literally. Um, and I, I bore the line, had to like take myself off to the plank and get out of the water type thing, but I managed to, I managed to like like breathe a little bit and it's like okay and just a little bit of fast breaststroking and I managed to get my breath back but I was out I was danger close to just just pulling out right like massive panic response from like the swallow in the water and then people swimming over me I know better now like next time just like keep swimming a little bit <laughs> just don't get crushed by everyone else um but yeah what swimming is not not my uh not much better than what I was but it's just not it's just I don't know it's just not naturally naturally I was like 47, I think, and I, I realised that I couldn't swim. Obviously, you know, I swim a bit because you you got to be able to swim to be in the Marines. But when it come to front crawl, I could do like a length and that was, and it all went to rat shit. So I signed up for my local swimming pool and I thought, right, I'm going to do an Ironman. That's it. And I'm going to learn. And I just watched YouTube videos and slowly, little by little, I did one length and then I did two, then I did 10. Then I started to do hun hundreds of, you know, like 80 lengths or something. Yeah. 
the two things for anybody listening i would highly recommend is if you do have a problem with buoyancy and you're training for a triathlon is you can buy buoyancy shorts yeah and they're neoprene shorts and they just keep your core up a bit and it's not it's not a cheat or anything because you're obviously allowed to wear a wetsuit for for an iron man so, and the other thing dale is i wear the goggles that that go all the way across your eyes almost like a a, a diving mask but without the nose yeah. bit and they're wicked you know you get sure. a re you get a perfect seal yeah, Do you, you know what? I've started thinking about it recently because sometimes if, like, I've got I've got these like magic fives, right? They're like, have you seen them? They're kind of like shaped. They're, they're quite small goggles. Yeah. They're like they they you, you scan your face and they shake them. I'm just not. I'm don't get on with them at all. Like I'm, like, like them big them the the ones that are kind of more like cyclops style. I just feel like your vision will be so much better. Like in in in, in the open water. Like I was swimming the other day, I went to a lake and I was just swimming and, I was, and it wasn't even busy. And I was just like, I was trying to sight and I was like, I can't see anything. Like, I'm like, I don't even know what direction I'm swimming in, really. I've only got like, could go off little bits that I can see. I broadly swimming in the right direction. Because the lake was wide, I was like, wasn't sure whether I was meandering or what I was doing because the boys were tiny. You couldn't hardly see them anyway. Plus, like, the goggles are sort of tight to your face. They don't give you that much. I felt they weren't, they don't give me that much vision. So, and I'm, and so I've struck, I'm, I don't know, I'm just kind of considering changing because at the minute it's just like, but I mean, it's not, maybe it won't matter next week. I'm just going to get sort of tucked in behind someone and hope they're swimming in the right direction. Um, like, like there's like a mass, so basically this year, like last year it was like you had to swim, it was swimming anti-clockwise. This year is the same lake, but swimming clockwise around the lake. Like for me, I, I always breathe to the right, I don't breathe to the left when I'm swimming competitively because I'm just much more efficient right breathing. So when I'm practicing, I'll brief both sides, but a lot of the time if I'm competing, I'll just brief one side if it's quicker. Um, but I'm, so because it's clockwise this year, <coughs> it's better for me because I can position myself slightly on, slightly on the outside edge and I'll be able to see everyone in front of me. Whereas last year it was anti-clockwise um, and like I couldn't see like sort of round the bend sort of like, and I, I, and I had to position myself right inside everyone and then I was, and then being all slightly weaker swimmer, I was getting more kind of like caught up in bits that I didn't want to be in really because I had to position myself on the inside. But ne this year I can position myself on the outside. So I think that that in itself will help me swim faster this year. But mm. we'll see. Yeah, I use those goggles and I use the little fog spray yeah, stuff. Spray, yeah. yeah, stops them mist, and I've never had a problem with that. How how many Ironman have you done? Just one, one last year. Yeah. And was that 12 hours? Did I see from the? Yeah, I've done 12, 12 hours, 35 seconds. It was like a bit slower than what I would, would have wanted. Like it's hilly course, Ironman UK, which is fine. Like, but I kind of, I could have got, you know, if, if I'd have had a good day, I could have got a lot better. But the whole field was slowed down, to be honest, because the weather was atrocious. Like the, 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 the weather on the bike was like biblical rain. It, like, it rained for four hours straight and Ironman UK is like really like loads of steep climbing and up and down. Um, so it made the bike course really treacherous and people were coming off and it was dangerous. So people had, we had to slow down basically. So, um, and it also battered people's legs. It just made it much harder work on the bike. Um, but, you know, I've done, done pretty good in the field overall. And it was for my first effort, it was good. But I'd like to definitely see an improvement on that this year. Um, but we'll see. But Chris, mate, I literally have to go in two minutes, man. Yeah, no worries, mate. I was just going to say, you did 12, 
12 hours 35 i i would probably have done that in 12 34 i reckon i reckon you could have done it in just 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 under 12 mate given yeah. your pedigree Probably could have done it an hour, mate, but that's showing off. And yeah, yeah, and no, I mean, you don't want to, you don't want to upstage the professionals. It just wouldn't, it wouldn't be right. Dale, it's been absolutely fascinating, mate. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey, thanks um, for having me. It's been yeah, it's uh, I haven't done so much of the fighting bit. I leave that to my my little boy, but um, he does his taekwondo. He's uh, almost a black belt now, which I'm very very. He's seven years old. It's it's right. it's a junior black belt, but very very proud of him um but yeah we have uh we've a lot of parallels in our in, in our life and it's great great to chat about so um just stay on the line so i can thank you properly but uh dale thank you ever so much and we'll put your instagram below so people can uh, jump on that and uh strongly suggest folks even if this is an inkling in your mind that maybe you want to do this one day or something just follow someone like dale and just just get started you know you you can do a triathlon in a day if you set yourself a run around the block cycle up to the shop and back and then just go to your swimming pool and swim five lengths boom it it's it it's a great way to get into this sort of stuff um but yes <clears throat> losing my voice now dale massive thanks brother to everybody at home big love to you all if you could please like and subscribe hope you've enjoyed this as much as i have and uh we'll see you next time thank you very much friends thank you for listening to the bought the t-shirt podcast please like subscribe and share and don't forget to follow me on social media username chris thrall instagram chris thank you